Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm your host, Ajua Robinson, and I'd like to take a moment to address you, our regular listeners. We know you have enjoyed our podcasts, as evidenced by the more than 200,000 downloads to date. Thanks to you all. We'd like to know what value you may have found in the podcast. We'd like to hear from all of you, practitioners, researchers, students, but especially our listeners who are social work educators. How are you using the podcast in your classrooms? Just go to our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu forward slash podcast and click on the Contact Us tab. Again, thanks for listening and we look forward to hearing from you. Before we begin, I'd like to send a special shout out to Felicity, our biggest fan in Dublin, Ireland. Thanks for listening. Social work roles in medical settings are shifting with changes in the provision of health care in North America. In addition to organizational changes and changes in financing, social workers face encroachment upon our traditional roles in hospital settings from allied health professionals. Nurses, counselors, and even physical therapists can perform some of the traditional social work functions. But can they replace us, or is there something special about social workers. Dr. Shelley Craig is an assistant professor at Factor in Wintosh, Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto. Dr. Craig is a registered and licensed clinical social worker with over 16 years of practice experience. Also in Toronto, Dr. Barbara Muscat is a director of social work at the Hospital for Sick Children a child and adolescent therapist at the Red Pass Center, and a faculty affiliate at the Factor Inwintosh Faculty of Social Work. Dr. Muscat has over 30 years experience as a clinician, clinical supervisor, and program director in a variety of settings. Doctors Craig and Muscat conducted a qualitative study to better understand the changing roles of social workers in urban hospital settings. Seven major roles emerged. They were bouncer, juggler, janitor, broker, firefighter, glue, and challenger. Doctors Craig and Muscat discussed implications of their research for social work education and for the profession's contribution to understanding and addressing the social determinants of health. Dr. Joan Doris, Assistant Professor at the University at Buffalo Department of Pediatric and Community Dentistry, spoke with Drs. Craig and Muscat by telephone. This is Joan Doris, and I'm here today interviewing Dr. Shelley Craig and Dr. Barbara Muscat about their work regarding social work roles in healthcare. And I'd like to welcome you both today, and could you tell me a little bit about what your current research in this area is about. Certainly. Thank you for the opportunity, Joan. This is Shelley Craig. We I can give you a little bit of the backstory. This research 
project that we're going to talk about today really emerged from a couple of different situations, but it really emerged from some discrepancies that I was seeing in the classroom. So I teach social work practice and health, a variety of classes here at the Factor Inwantash Faculty of Social Work at the University of Toronto. And what I noted that quite a few of our MSW students were actually doing their practicums or their internships in hospital settings. And there was quite a discrepancy between what they articulated as their experiences and roles, as well as those of their colleagues that were working there full time, and what the textbook said the roles and experiences should be. So that essentially led me to go out to the community, which is where I sort of connected with Dr. Muscat, and now we've essentially become inseparable. But um, and because I thought we're missing something in our education in terms of being able to prepare students. And so Barb and I thought we would go out to those sort of doing the work, the social workers in the front lines, particularly those in urban hospitals, and really get a sense of how they described their role and their experiences as what they felt the value added was of social work in that context. So we tend to both approach research from a practice-based perspective. And a lot of the literature around social work was actually written by non-social workers. So that indicated to us that this is something that perhaps we could learn more about. And then in social work, we could empower those that are actually doing the work. And so we went through the process of, we sort of conceptualized just a a small, at that point, qualitative study using focus groups in which we would interview current practicing social workers, particularly those on the front lines in urban hospitals, and ask them essentially what I articulated, what their roles were, they thought how they conceptualized their roles and what their experiences were. And we have found, and we'll sort of get into this, but what the social workers were very engaged. And again, we have, it was an unfunded study, so Barb brought the chocolate. (laughs) But we were actually a little bit surprised by the number, we have to do much recruitment, by the number of hospitals that had sort of brought their social workers together and said, we think that this is a great opportunity. And so we actually have now wait lists of hospitals and healthcare settings that want to participate in this study and sort of the next phase of the study. That's sort of where it came from is essentially the, the lack of research in this area, as well as student experiences. And both Barb and I come from, Barb is currently someone who's on the front lines, But I was an emergency room social worker and a rehab social worker in Florida for many years. So we both come at it also from our experiences as well. So it's a little bit of the backstory. And I just want to add, and this is Barbara Muscat speaking, that I'm the director of social work here at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. And what I was hearing from the social workers on our teams was an uncertainty about what their roles had become, that they mm-hmm. had come into the roles at a time when psychosocial supports and helping people cope with illness seemed to be the way they conceptualize their role, but with the rapid changes in the medical system, with the impact of social determinants of health being larger than ever in our Canadian medical system, they found that their roles were changing dramatically and they didn't quite know what to do with that. 
and how to incorporate that into their identity as social workers and medical social workers. So I think what's kind of quite unique about this study is it came from three different directions. It came from Mm. kind of researchers' brains, it came from students' discussion, and it came from practitioners' concerns. What's striking to me about what both of you have said is it sounds like we're in a period of flux in terms of medical social work, that the research that, that that's out there really doesn't describe what we're doing and that what's happening is the field is shifting. And what I was wondering is, before we move forward with that, can you tell me a little bit about what historically that role has been and how it's described in the research so that we can have that as a basis. We're looking forward at what you're seeing in your work with where it actually is now for people in the field. This is Barb speaking. I think that what you read about is roles of more clinical direct work where social workers would be working one-on-one with patients or their families or running groups or providing more counseling or psychosocial support to adapt to medical situations. And maybe a little bit would be said about advocacy on behalf of of patients and families in terms of rights and, and, and benefits. But I know that in Toronto, our population has shifted. We have many, many, many newcomers, people who have no benefits, no health coverage, no finances, no homes, and and because we have a system that of medical care that everyone is invited in to be part of the medical system, when patients are in the hospital and they have no money to pay for drugs and no place to go when they get out and no money to buy food for the family, it all shifts down to the social workers. We are really, again, that safety net that was once written about in the literature for social work, but we have become a huge safety net with some fear of role encroachment by other professions on the traditional work that we did. So lots of other people in hospitals would like to do the counseling. Very few people want to go and find medication coverage. So that's from the practitioner point of view. I don't know, Shelley, if you want to add to that. No, I would tend to agree. So the literature address some of the roles that social workers are continuing to fulfill, for example, assessment, in some cases, advocacy. But I think there's a shift in the approach and the amount of time that social workers are able to spend on those. And Barbara indicates the fact the issues of counseling in particular, we we noted that some of our study participants that had worked in hospital settings for a significant time felt like there was a significant shift. They used to be able to provide counseling and they really shifted to crisis management. And uh, I think one of the other things that has really changed the nature of social work delivery here, and I also believe in across North America, is this sort of real shift to interprofessional or intercollaborative care as well. Essentially, there are very few standalone social work departments, and so everything is sort of merged into these interprofessional teams. And that in and of itself, even if social work roles were clear in a departmental framework, they are no longer nearly as clear in an interprofessional care framework. And so sometimes the scope of practice and the delivery of services relates more to the relationships between team members and sometimes in terms of what social work delivers and sometimes a little about the specific 
occupation or job training. So I think that those, and then that then has opened up, I think, this idea of role creep that Barb addressed in a really interesting way for social work as well, particularly for some of the higher status roles that social work can fulfill in healthcare settings. Yeah, and addressing some of those roles, one of the things that I find interesting is a lot of people might like to do them, people from other disciplines. Do you hear your social workers saying that those other professions are as can do them as well? Are they as prepared for those roles in a medical setting? I can say this, Barb. I can say that uh, there is a belief out in the world that anybody can lead a group, and and our social workers <laughs> fight this all the time. That how we believe one facilitates a group and empowers people in a group is different than how some of our allied professionals think about leading groups, which is often really educating people in a room. But there is a real belief that anybody and everybody you really don't need preparation to lead a group and therefore other people can lead groups. So that's one example. And also kind of counseling, I mean, well, how people consider counseling is another piece where other groups are feel that they can do it. And finally, we're beginning to see that uh, groups that you wouldn't expect, occupational therapists, for instance, are very interested in learning CBT, for instance, because they believe that that should be part of their role. So, uh, yeah, we're seeing it (laughs) across the hospital from a number of different groups. But nobody else wants to, like, help people with the very practical day-to-day things. Very few people are wanting to do that piece. Right. There are only certain roles that other professions seem to want (laughs) to take on that social work is always doing. And I think that the nature of a sort of delivering social work services in essentially a medical model, which is a host organization that doesn't always necessarily understand the delivery of psychosocial services, then sometimes creates the situation where social workers have to clearly articulate what their roles are and what their skill sets are because it isn't necessarily a perfect fit or even feel like the best fit. You know, it's certainly important to have psychosocial services and healthcare settings, but still sometimes for the social workers that are actually in positions, it's a little challenging because you have to negotiate a system that doesn't quite understand in many cases what you do or what you can bring to the table. It sounds like some of the importance of this work is just helping us to articulate what it is that we can do. But you mentioned host settings, and one of the things I was curious about is, did your social workers talk about, in the States at least, we're seeing some shift more towards integrated services? Not in a huge way yet, but it seems to be the trend. And I wondered if you're seeing that, and if so, is that changing the sense of host setting to we become one of the hosts, or is it not there yet? Is it multidisciplinary versus integrated at this point? Well, we are starting a move to community-based health, mental health combination programs called community care access centers. There are some functioning. I wouldn't say they're fully functioning. The move is to move as many people out of acute care settings and into the community because of 
cost savings. And I don't think we have enough information yet about how they're going, although one of the groups that is on our waiting list is one of those groups to go and speak with. They're very interested in, in speaking with us about their roles. So we don't have anything yet, but maybe in a year we might have some more information about that. You both mentioned the waiting list. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Are these social workers who want to meet with you, or are these actually institutions that are saying, we need the information you're getting from this work in order to do our work better? This is Shelley. Essentially, it's both. Right now, it is, I would say, weighted more heavily in the direction of social workers wanting to share, which is great, actually, what their, what their roles and, and experiences are. And we tend to believe that the practice implications and certainly the, any policy implications should emerge from the people that are doing the work, which are the frontline social workers, as opposed to sort of a university setting per se. So that those kind of partnerships are really what we're looking at, I think. And I just had a comment about the previous discussion about integrated care. I agree that I think that here in Canada, we're not necessarily there. I know in the States, there's quite a bit of discussion of integrated care in sort of theory, but in practice, it still feels like it's a very much still the medical model that's dominating it. And so in many cases, the social workers, although mental health and psychosocial issues are important, they're not nearly as important as the sort of strict medical diagnostic approach. So I think in on paper, it looks fantastic. I think in practice, it's not quite there yet. Don't know quite what that will look like. So social workers in those kind of models are still having to sort of assert, in many cases, why it's important or why the social determinants of health for a particular patient need to be factored into the integrated plan. So I feel like there's definitely a ways to go with regard to that model. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's certainly what I see, and hopefully this is work that will move us in that direction. Can you tell me a little bit more about the specifics of the studies? You mentioned you did focus groups in, it was a convenient sample. Did you have a theoretical underpinning that was driving this, or is this more practice-driven? It was really practice-based research. It was a community-based participatory research model and keeping it open for such an exploratory study. As we move forward, we'll certainly be using, I think, some stricter approaches. And the majority of our participants were, just to kind of briefly describe them, about 85% their highest degree was an MSW, and then followed by a BSW, and about 2 or 3% had a PhD or a W. So highly educated. And we went to seven urban hospital settings, participants, I think we had 65 participants total. But these are also health social workers that had worked in in healthcare services an average of almost 12 years. So that certainly indicates, I think, a group of individuals that are specialists and incredibly knowledgeable, but also probably have seen a shift in some ways in the approach to healthcare services as well. So in terms of our sort of general hospitals here in the greater Toronto area, so that was sort of our focus. We wanted to essentially keep it manageable because we weren't entirely sure how interested some of our participants would even be in 
chatting with us, despite the fact that Barb bought very nice chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah. the other piece that's been interesting, and this is Barb speaking, that we there are hospital settings that are affiliated with the University of Toronto. So we have colleagues in these teaching hospital settings, and it took very little effort to sort of go to one and then others would hear about it. And so Mm -hmm. it really, it's a bit of snowballing in a way, but other hospitals, and we tried to to kind of be, to vary it between different like the the hospitals sometimes have different slightly different focuses, so we try to get some variation in there. But the quote waiting list is really other hospitals that have heard about it and said we'd like to speak with you as well. So and we had one very interesting experience which isn't contained in our findings, but we have a colleague who's at a hospital in Halifax, which is quite a distance, and we did an online focus group where we were in Toronto and their group was in Halifax and we did a focus group with him over conferencing software. So it sounds like one of the things you brought up early on was the idea that that research shouldn't just be coming out of universities. And it's interesting here that you have so many practitioners who are saying, we want to contribute to this knowledge base. And we have interesting and important things to say to help widen the knowledge base. And it, it sort of, it sounds like, gee, I wonder if more of this were happening, what all we would be learning from it. Again, they know best. So that's very much a, Barbara and I were just talking about this the other day, this is Shelley, and it's really, uh, I think we think a very social work approach to research. Go to where the client is. (laughs) For the purposes of this research, that is who our expert is, the person, the frontline social worker is actually doing the work. And I want to mention when I was talking about sort of the basic demographics that the social workers that we spoke to were in all different units and settings within the hospital. So ranging from the emergency room to rehab units. And so the themes that we found about the particular roles really were applied across the different hospital units, which was actually something that surprised us a little bit. For example, we thought the theme of one of the themes was social work role as challenger, which isn't particularly surprising. Perhaps that would be something that we would see more frequently in emergency room social workers. And that was not the case. It it wasn't it certainly was for emergency room social workers, but we also felt we also found that the social workers that were working in long term care, for example, also felt like they had to challenge to make sure that the patients' needs and their psychosocial issues were actually factored into the overall case plan and some discharge plan. So that was a little surprising. Can you tell me a little bit more about the major themes that you found in your research? I can start this, but Barb certainly jump in. So we actually had, there were seven major roles that were discussed by the social workers in hospital settings. And I want to be clear that the language that they used, so the names of the roles, actually emerged from the social workers themselves. Now, anyone that's worked with a hospital social worker knows how creative and innovative they are. So it wasn't us. Um, So the titles, the roles actually were, and let me just quickly list them, and then we can talk a little bit about what we found the most surprising or interesting. But the role of bouncer, the role of janitor, the role of glue, broker, firefighter, juggler, and challenger, which I addressed before. 
And with regard to the first one, we were a little surprised that the participants, again, in all the settings, use the language of bouncers, because that is not, I would argue, something that we really teach social work students, at least in my <laughs> class, <laughs> about how to be bouncers. In some ways, this could be similar to perhaps what have been described as mediators or arbitrators in some cases in the other social work role literature. But the role of bouncer, particularly for these urban social workers, was really much more, it was like having to forcibly control a setting. So it was essentially kicking people out, families out, for example, certainly in times of a health crisis, families come to, quote unquote, support their family member that's in crisis. However, they're under so much stress that I would say some of those perhaps negative patterns emerge and so families can get hostile, families can start fighting, things can happen because of the stress of the situation. And so quite a few of the social workers talked about having to really work with families and work with individuals to quickly and assertively control a setting. And so that was one that I think we found a little interesting and again made me rethink some of the ways that I was discussing social work roles in my classes. The next one was janitor. <laughs> you know, janitors kind of are very important in organizations, but they usually have to clean up the mess without getting a lot of <laughs> the thanks. And we like to talk about my favorite quote, which is that social workers have to get the pants. And we weren't sure what that meant initially, but there are lots of people, especially in adult hospital settings, who come in and they've been living in shelters or on the street. And when they come in, people get rid of their clothes. So it's the social workers who have to go and get them the clothes. <laughs> they have closets full of clothes now to get for their patients. And literally, I mean, this stuff that's sort of less pleasant, less clean, less clinical, the leftover problems it's the social workers who come in and like mop it up. And they're not saying it's a bad role and they're not dismissing it, but literally it feels like a janitorial role. We actually even heard social workers describing going to people's homes and cleaning up their homes so that the families can go home after discharge. So the, the janitor role was another one that I would say doesn't appear in the textbook. And I wonder too, what I was thinking about is those kinds of tasks that you're mentioning, like custodial work, often don't get noticed until they're not done. Exactly. Right. Exactly. exactly. But it's an underappreciated role often. Absolutely. Right. And within that, it was, they also articulated, that was sort of interesting, is that the social workers were sort of conceptualizing this in a way that they were sort of protecting the other staff from having to deal with these unpleasant issues that Barb was addressing, which is sort of interesting, I think. Very interesting. Yeah, exactly. And so this particular role was one of the roles that, so within this sort of collective roles, there were roles that some social workers felt very proud, some of the higher status roles. And this was one of the lower status roles within that, that they sort of talked about sometimes through gritted teeth. <laughs> but the feeling was that this is something we have to do to sort of maintain our place, or in some cases they even said that, to keep our jobs within the healthcare settings, which, again, was, was sort of interesting. So, so Shelley, why don't you go to one of the nicer roles? Okay. Role. <laughs> the glue, right. So another role that was articulated, and let me 
just read a quick sentence about that, is was this idea of glue. So the participants really said, and one particular participant said, social work is the glue to organize and hold all of the family meetings and hold all of the communication together and pull together the discharge plan. And I also have to provide consultation to that are sometimes beyond the social work role to the members of the interprofessional team. So this is also related to glue. And another participant said, within the interprofessional team, I have to debrief both on a personal level with staff, and sometimes I feel like their counselor, and then do the same thing with patients too. So the discussion of glue was certainly a discussion of what we would think perhaps as the job, which would be covered in more or less the job description. So holding the patients and the families and the treatment plan together. But in addition, there's this sort of secondary use of the idea of glue, of providing staff support as well, and really being the glue that holds the interprofessional team together. And so this second one was sort of an implied or, yeah, certainly an implicit, another implicit expectation, I believe. That is what, if there's any sort of conflict within the interprofessional team, or if perhaps the doctor is having a hard time with his or her adolescent, then they sometimes come to a social worker and talk about some of the personal issues that are happening within their lives. And those secondary expectations of glue and support within the interprofessional teams, again, not things that are captured in job descriptions or in the way that we look now at patient outcomes or in the way that we look at our time, but certainly they take up a great deal of energy for the services as well. So the idea of being glue was, was certainly one that they held in high status, but it was really interesting that then during that discussion that kind of split in two ways, sort of the related job expectations and then this sort of secondary implicit discussion. And I'm struck by, as I'm hearing you talk, that this may be one of the really important things in the work that you're doing is to start articulating all these implicit roles because, yeah, it's difficult to think about how an interdisciplinary team can function without somebody monitoring the health of the functioning of the team. But who else on the team has the skill set or the inclination to do that? And so by articulating it is the first step towards moving it from implicit to explicit, acknowledged and appreciated role. And it makes me think, too, of some of the genderedness in this. Mm, That's an excellent point. And do you want to speak to that at all? I think you've essentially said it because it is a profession in terms of the front line that's dominated by women. Certainly the majority, about 90% of our participants were. And so that then lends itself to with the gender expectations as well. And I think that's something we need to consider when we're discussing this because it it is an expectation, I think, for women. And then we sort of layer on that that it's an expectation for social workers and then perhaps we wonder why people are burnt out. Well, and also, you know, uh, in addition to the gendered part of it, it's also, you know, that we're very much not the primary service delivery people. I mean, we always have to remember we're like, I don't know, we're not even secondary. We would go like at most hospitals, doctors and nurses sit in the primary seats and we're somewhere in the next line of things. So I always feel like we're a little bit like still some of the guest staff. So, (laughs) yeah. 
Yeah, which is interesting given the more research we do, the more clear it is that behavioral health and physical health are inextricable. And in spite of all that research and all of that knowledge, it's not translating into practice yet. And I think it's it, and it hasn't necessarily made it, like, it has certainly, it's, the, the theoretical underpinnings are in the textbooks, but how that rubber meets the road in what you're doing hasn't made the textbooks, I think. Right, and the use of those skills in high-pressure environments. So some of them could be maybe what we would ex- expect to be more typical social work skills. For example, this idea of broker, which has been found in social work generally, but is also certainly with regard to our participants. But the description of broker, which included certainly discharge planning, really included the fact that they had to do this quickly. They had to really broker services quickly, often with some families that they would only see one time. And so that, I think, is also certainly that's covered in the textbooks, but how to do that and teaching students and teaching practitioners how to do that in an incredibly efficient fashion because that's the expectation. And one of the other interesting uh, findings around this idea of broker, which again was quite a bit the discussion of discharge planning and the the procurement and delivery of tangible resources, other professions and other disciplines are certainly moving into this discharge planning arena. I know that certainly happened in many cases in the U.S. and that's certainly happening here. But the concern was that discharge planning, it was some people were fairly ambivalent and some felt strongly that social work should be involved in discharge planning. It wasn't one, it's not a particularly high status role for social work, but many of the social workers that we spoke to really articulated this idea of risk discharge planning and really providing durable discharge plans so that there isn't this idea of quote-unquote frequent flyers that come back in repeatedly, which are often the more vulnerable populations that we contend with in healthcare settings. And this was really something that was articulated as something that required quite a bit of training around psychosocial issues and, again, the social determinants of health to really assess risks and enhance the idea of durable discharges so that there isn't a revolving door. And we can really facilitate healthy discharge with folks that continue to have an upward trajectory once they leave the hospital setting and aren't compromised because we're essentially pushing them out by completing a checklist and handing them some flyers. So that I thought was interesting, but also this kind of discharge planning takes longer and I think some of the more traditional ways that we would think about discharge planning. So that I thought was fairly interesting as well. Oh, and I was just going to say that along the lines of the broker role, which is you know, something we're more comfortable with. The role of firefighter is something else that we're mm-hmm. also comfortable with because I think one thing we do train our students in and um, and most social workers are comfortable with is crisis intervention. So, you know, we are kind of trained to put out fires. I think in medical settings, the fires can be slightly different, but the people we spoke to really talked about that we're good when you need to run in immediately and help people. So if somebody is suicidal or something's going to happen immediately, we're very good at dropping everything and and running in. And that's something that I think crisis intervention is something that social workers have been doing for years, and the social workers said they've been doing it for years, but perhaps 
maybe with the increase in the quantity of work and the less money in the system, there's more crises and more fires to put out. There definitely was a recognition that they spent a greater percentage of their time than they used to for those that had been in the system for a long time dealing with these fires and doing crisis management and much less time in sort of this other idea of sort of just general counseling provision in the way that it normally conceptualized. So I, I think that really gets to the changing nature as well as the funding that Barbara articulated. And certainly is an area of concern if we're moving more and more towards crisis instead of prevention. I just want to make sure we sneak in the last two roles. So, Shelly, right. do you want to take the next one? Juggler? Sure. So just this idea of juggler, the fact that the health social workers were expected to see transition between multiple roles from firefighter to glue quickly and seamlessly to the pressures of the hospital environment. So just having to be a juggler. So one of the participants says, I have to constantly have one hat on at the right place at the right time. And it's very different depending on what I am doing or who I am seeing. So then in a minute you practice something else. So that was kind of interesting, the need to, again, articulating the need to move rapidly within these And the final rule, which is not surprising for social work, is a challenger. So that's that the advocacy, you know, helping challenge a system, helping to go out in the community and advocate. And I think that's something that, again, is comfortable to social workers. That's what we're trained to do. It's being seeing things from the point of view of the patient and and then helping to articulate that in the system. So those are the kind of more macro roles that I think we're trained to do and we're more comfortable than being janitors and bouncers anyway. So I think what we trying to figure out is sort of what's next with this. One piece is, is, again, there seems to be great interest in people to speak about this, and then a question of what we do with it. And as Shelley mentioned in the beginning, this is unfunded from our hearts research, so we would love to find a funder because we feel it's important research. And then we're curious how these roles would hold up across the country, maybe across the border in both situations, and then to see how we can take this and think about the education and preparation of future social workers in healthcare settings, and I suppose also advocacy about the to help social workers in healthcare settings best define what they can do in a way that other professions do, and I think social workers may not do as well. I think we're we're really good at empowering our clients, and I think we're very good at at helping other people define who they are and what they they do. My beef is I don't think we're as good as we're we're not as good doing it for ourselves. That's Shelley, and I would of course completely agree with that. And I think there, occasionally during the course of the focus groups there were a few people that were initially a little ambivalent. They said, why are we talking about ourselves? Shouldn't we really be talking about patients or the vulnerable families that we're serving? And then there was a sort of a recognition that if we're not in a healthcare setting or if we are not able to clearly articulate what it is that we bring to the table, then there will be less support for those vulnerable patients and families. So I think we're a little bit harder to conceptualize and advocate for ourselves sometimes. I think that that is something that 
the certainly the university affiliated folks can help bring to the table. And we are really looking also at now that we have a sense of how the health social workers articulate their roles, then really moving into what the value add is in healthcare settings. Because there was, again, with a lot of our participants, and we hear this, still a lot of anxiety about the future of social work in healthcare settings. So there's some concern about how secure they were, and in many cases, well-founded because of a lot of the budgetary challenges. So in order for us to continue to move forward with some of this advocacy piece, we want to really think about operationalizing, figuring out what the value add is that's different than other professions and related to our training, and then start to operationalize the value within these settings, both to patients as well as to the overall organizational settings. So that's essentially part of our trajectory is we really want to help social workers and work together with social workers in on the front lines in healthcare settings, continue to move forward in defining the roles and the skills required so that we at the university level can certainly support them in amazing work that they're doing as well for vulnerable children and families. Well, I think of that as being a real important foundational piece of research that if we can't define it, then we can't articulate it to anybody else. We can't, as you put it, you can't attach a value to it. You can't explain it to anybody else. And one of the things I was thinking about is that has obvious implications for education. How can you teach it if you can't define it? And how can you research it? I think about biological sciences. If you can't differentiate one kind of tree from another, you can't study them. You know, you need to know we're talking about this species. This is what social work in medical settings is. And But one of the other things that seems really profound about the implications of your work are the policy implications, both in a small, what is our hospital's policy, our clinic's policy on social work services, and also the broader public policy implications. And I wondered if you could speak a little to that. We completely agree that there are some significant policy implications. We're not, I would say a couple of things, we're not entirely sure what those could be, I think, because part of it will be the way that you described, really as we are able to define and articulate our value, then there will be policy pieces in terms of really being able to push for inclusion of social work across healthcare settings, and then ultimately defining what we do and what we bring to the table so that we're clearly able to articulate that, so that we're included more frequently in budgets and budgetary discussions. And then from that, able to significantly impact some of the more vulnerable populations and their social determinants of health. And we think that there are also some prevention implications, even though the healthcare settings are really just dealing with the crisis and intervention management. We think that there also could be prevention implications as well that come from this even if dealing with populations that might not be, at this point, chronically ill, figuring out how to incorporate social work more frequently, for example, into maybe school clinic settings to really address the social determinants of health and and that kind of thing. We do think that there are certainly policy and policy practice implications as well. I do feel like we're so, we just want to make sure that what we do is always rooted in the actual 
perception and work of the frontline social workers that are actually doing the work. So that those policy implications would have to be derived from or arise from our continued work with our hospital partners as well. The only other thing that I think of is, is because we've become so aware of the impact of the social determinants of health, we're still not, I agree, all the, the prevention possibilities that are out there because I think we're still being caught in what somebody has a sign on their door, you know, your poor planning does not constitute my emergency. But we actually <laughs> are caught up in that, that because we're not planning and thinking from the earlier phases or from a prevention kind of uh, model, we do end up with crises to deal with at the last minute. And I think there's great policy work that can be done to think about what we can do earlier on in the process rather than having everything be a, a dramatic cleanup act at the end. One of the other implications I see is for the larger field, I wonder if globally we're in a place where we need to be thinking again about defining and articulating who we are. And this work can contribute to that broader conversation as well. I agree, and I, it was funny. I had a hiatus between degrees. Um, I had a 25-year hiatus between my MSW and PhD and hadn't looked at our professional literature about our own identity for a long time. But what I remembered was what I learned 25 years ago, was that social work was a semi-profession. And not amazed, but we, we're still defining ourselves as a semi-profession, which I find interesting. We can't quite get ourselves to a point where we're thinking of ourselves as a profession. And I think our identity, we are a, a field full of heart and full of desire to do the right things. And, and so I think we're all over the place with what our role is and who we are. And I think if we did this study with people in community mental health settings, we might hear the same thing. It's possible we'd hear very similar responses. I'm not sure, but I think it would be interesting to move, you know, into other settings and outside of North America just to hear what we hear and see if we're all in the same boat in this regard. It's true, and this is Shelley. And what I do know, although Canada is doing fairly well in at least starting to discuss social determinants of health, although I would argue that social work is, we are not leading that charge. I do think that other countries, particularly some of the European countries, are really starting to discuss social determinants of health and social work in a probably increasingly thoughtful way. So it would be, I think, really interesting to really talk about some of these issues internationally and sort of identify what different, what the various countries are doing related to certainly schools of social work, but also current practitioners and how they're addressing the social determinants of health in their actual practice. And I'm sure that there's a great deal that we could learn from many of those countries as well. So that is certainly a hope that we have. I really appreciate your time here today. I'm looking forward to hearing more about where you take this work. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Shelley Craig and Barbara Muscat discuss their research on the changing roles of social workers in medical settings. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for more lectures and conversations on social work practice and research.
Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.